0: Uh, Just a little housekeeping note real quick, Uh, if you'll pull out your insert from your bulletin on the sermon notes on number two, where it says the fervor of our blessing, that's actually supposed to be the favor of our blessing, although we should be fervent about receiving blessing, that'll mess up the whole sermon if we leave it like that, so let's pray. God, we open up your word now to be transformed by it, to be um, brought closer to you, to be convicted, to be encouraged, and to be blessed, so that when we leave this room today, oh God, we will be a new and different people. We will be more mature disciples. We will know what it means to be Christ's followers. I ask this for myself and these people, O Lord, forgive our sins. There are many. May we see Christ and Him crucified only. In your name we pray. Amen. We started the series last week, Beautiful Things, the God who sees and speaks and saves. As we study the Sermon on the Mount, we begin with the Beatitudes, where we kind of get beautiful things from. And the Beatitudes actually is a word that means blessing, uh, of high favor. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were a couple of words in Hebrew that mean blessing. One of those that would be closest to this is a word, "hased." Uh, I don't have the guttural means right now to do that. I don't have enough spit going on to get that out. Uh, but it's a word that means God's tender favor, uh, God's high favor. And that's what Jesus is saying in these Beatitudes as He comes He gives us God's high favor in these life situations that the Beatitudes address. First, we see here in chapter 5, verse 1, though, the beginning of Christ's coming and the crowds following Him and the beginning of the longest continuous sermon that Christ would give throughout all of the Gospels in this Sermon on the Mount. We see Him coming out of Galilee, And crowds that have been healed and crowds that have heard His teaching and crowds that have followed Him and seen His miracles are now coming around this mountaintop experience with Christ where He will sit down with them and teach them about the kingdom of God. And He coming as the King, the King of all kings and what kingdom life would look like. And he'll continue on in the next two or three chapters giving us an outline of what does the ethics of being a Christian look like. But first, before all that, he blesses us. Read with me as we read chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let us pray. Lord, speak. Let us hear and let us know our salvation. The God who sees, the God who speaks, the God who saves. We see it here in five one. seeing the crowds. And if you recall from last week, we talked about that word. Seeing is a word that doesn't mean just observing, but understanding. So, for instance, I can... Look out the window with my ADD right now and see a, a plane over here at the airport flying by, and I can—it's not really out there. Y'all stop looking. Um, uh, and if it flies by, I can see that plane and say, "Oh, there's a plane flying." That's an observance of seeing something. The word that's being used here actually means that not only do you see the plane flying by, but you understand the dynamics of lift. And you think of a low pressure on top of a high pressure that brings a wing that's so constructed that it gives a plane lift with thrust. And there are rudders upon that airplane that make it move, yaw and turn and go up and down. And there's a whole perception about the reality of flight that if a pilot saw a plane, would naturally understand. And that's how Jesus is observing the crowds that are following him. He's not just seeing faces. He's not just seeing people. But he's perceiving those people and their needs and everything about their lives. And he looks at that crowd and he empathizes with them and sympathizes with them and reaches into their life. And then it says that He sits down and He opens His mouth. That He speaks to them. And He speaks into their lives. And isn't that a good thing for you and I to know this morning? That Jesus knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's happening in your life. He perceives it from His very throne. He knows every detail of what's in your heart, what's worrying you at night what's giving you joy, what's giving you angst, what's making you concerned, what you're afraid of, what you feel encouraged by. He knows every little detail of you. He sees it. And not only does He see it, but He speaks into your life. He's not a God that's far away. He's not a God that just observes you and then brushes you off like some small bug But He cares for you and I enough to speak. And the words that He speaks to us as the living Word of God, the very Word of God, are words of blessing and instruction. He started with the first Blessing the first beatitude, as He opened His mouth, He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you remember we talked about that last week, being a present tense blessing. That right now, those of us who recognize the poverty of our own spirit, the need that we have in our own life for Christ, that we know that God's favor is upon us because He's already, in response to that, understanding of our need for Him given the kingdom of God to us. And it's a present tense blessing that we can hold on to right now in this life. And you remember in verse 13 he closes it with another present tense blessing. Where he says, blessed are those who revile, uh, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, all kinds of evil and false accusations about you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That's present tense, even right now. And then encapsulated in between these two beatitudes are future tense beatitudes that say, You haven't already, you're already in the kingdom of God, but as you go through this life, understand not only do you have comfort here, but there's a greater comfort to come. And we see that what theologians call the already, but the not yet. That we already taste things of heaven now, but there'll be a greater fulfillment in the days to come when we are with Him face to face and without sin. So Jesus says, "Blessed are you when your poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven." And then he goes on to say, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." What does it mean to mourn? Well, certainly we all know the understanding of of losing a loved one or the the idea of mourning a death and Many different people in many different cultures have different traditions about that. You know, there was a time where you would wear black on your arm for six weeks, or if you were in the turn of the century, oftentimes a, a widow would wear black for a whole year to signify they were in the mourning process of uh, losing a loved one or someone close to them. And your own stories, as I've walked through some of your own stories of mourning as you've lost brothers and sisters and spouses. And God has given me this amazing privilege and grace and, and it has humbled me to walk with you in these circumstances. It, it makes me recall my own losses and my own mourning within my own family. And um, I was speaking with someone not too long ago about the loss of a sibling and and I was telling that person that, when my sister died, the best way I could describe what had happened was I, like an amputation. That it was like my arm being cut off. There was a part of me that was missing. That I would, I, I would learn to maneuver in life. I would learn to go forward. I would, I would learn, but I would always have phantom pains. I would always feel that twinge of my arm used to be there. And, and you hear of people with amputations, even, they try to scratch the limb that's been taken away because there's such a reality that they've lived with all their lives and somehow the fabric of their life has been ripped apart from them. And you learn to move on, but it's never the same. And because of that, life has a, an element of mourning that will go on and on and on. I miss my sister. She died in 1994. Here we are, what, four, uh, 24 years later. And I miss her like it was yesterday. Certainly that's some sense of mourning. Ultimately, the mourning represents a feeling that things will never be the same again. I want to give you a couple of definitions that I found when I was looking up what is the meaning of mourning, if we've got the slides on those, the definitions, do we have those? Did we get that working? First definition is this, to feel a deep sorrow or regret for the loss of someone or at death. Certainly that's what we were just talking about. But the second one here kind of expands it out where to feel regret or sorrow about the loss or the disappearance of something, or even someone. That, that mourning is more than just a sadness over the death of someone, but there's a mourning process that goes on in many different ways, like Kyle was talking with the kids, that we mourn because we might lose something of importance to us. We mourn because we might lose relationships. We mourn because we might lose, have the loss of innocence. And because of that we're we're always looking around, realizing something's not right, something's going on. I want to just talk about three biblical examples. I'll give you the verse, you can look at them later. But just just stay with me here and think through these things. And we, we look at second Samuel chapter eighteen, verse thirty three. This is a story about King David mourning over the loss of his son Absalom, who, who got killed in the attempt of trying to kill David, his own father. And we might think that David might feel a sense of justification or a sense of vindication that Absalom died in the war. But we don't find that. We find this deep sense of of mourning within David. It says in those verses that he was deeply disturbed. That there was a sense of his gut being wrenched out of his body. The Hebrew word there is he vomited up hurt and disappointment over the loss of of life the loss of his own son certainly in that we see the idea of a biblical mourning over death but we also see the mourning of a loss of relationship when we look at Paul in the Galatian church chapter 4 15 through 20 where Paul Paul is talking to the Galatian church at their Loss of the relationship that he has with them when when he says to them, I remember a time you would have dug out your own eyes and given them to me as a gift. You loved me in such a way that you honored me and you, you made me feel like I was one of you. And yet here's this church that he had planted, this church that he had ministered to, this church that he had prayed for and loved who was turning in their hearts against him. And Paul mourns over the loss of that relationship. As any pastor does, for the most part, over the loss of relationships of those who God has placed in His care. And then, of course, in Genesis 3-9, we see a mourning over the loss of innocence, where Adam says to the Lord, God comes to him and calls out His name, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, I was found out I was naked and ashamed, and so I hid. And we see the mourning over the loss of innocence. Certainly there are several other things that we mourn about, but when we look at those three things, we begin to understand, I am a person who's in mourning all of the time. At some level, we all mourn together. Look with me at this truth, please. All of us are mourning at some level continually. All of us know that there's something wrong. We all know because we were made for something more. It doesn't take much. Look at the news. Think about this this massacre over in New Zealand where 40 plus people are murdered in cold blood. Think of what happened in our own twin towers where jets are flown into towers and thousands of people die. Think about mothers who kidnap their children and drive them into lakes. Think about our latest law here in the state where we condone infanticide. There's something wrong. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning I had a hard time sleeping. I woke up early to only catch some guy who's an evolutionist trying to rebrand himself as a revolutionary evolutionist. Uh, Yeah, I know. It was five. Uh, And I watched this man struggle to try to make something that's really, really wrong into something that's right. And he couldn't do it. And I thought, God, there's something wrong with us. Look at our relationships that we have. if you have teenagers i promise you at some level you've mourned if you're like me and you realize you're cramming for finals you mourn over the loss of your youth some of us mourn because we're not old enough to do certain things some of us mourn because we're lonely Some of us mourn because we can't get alone. You see, in our lives, there's always some process of mourning going on, but there are those of us who are in Jesus that realize that even though something's not right, there's a hope. Are we able to show the clip I can't see. Is that a yes or a no? Yep, okay, hang on. We'll get right there. So in this mourning process, and in the, in the realization that there's just something not right in the world, it causes us to begin to ask the question, why is it this way? And where is God? Where is God in my loneliness? Where is God when I lost my innocence? Where is God in that broken relationship? Where is God when my loved one has died? I've shared with many of you the the process, what I went through with my own sister's death, about God, where were you? And the conclusions that He brought me to. It's natural, it's normal for us to ask that question. God, where are you? And what's up? But Jesus gives us a resounding answer. When you're there, when you're at that point, understand this, you're blessed. Doesn't sound right, does it? When you're sad, you really are blessed. Blessed. When you're in mourning, you're in high favor. It almost sounds contradictory, does it not? How can that be true? I want to run a song for you real quick. Listen as closely as you can. I think the lyrics are posted. And we'll come back to that question, how is it true? How is the reality of our mourning really the favor of a blessing?
1: Everything is lost, and everything I've loved before is gone. Alone, like the coming of the frost, and a cold winter's chill in my stony heart. i
0: is that Christ would come and before the crowds ever knew it he was going to bring the comfort of his own death that he would bring the comfort of his own mourning to take the place of theirs that he would be the one who would impoverish his own spirit that he who knew the riches of heaven would become poor for our sake so that in His poverty we might know the riches of heaven. That He would weep over us in our sin, that in His tears we would know the joy of our salvation. That we would know that every pain that we've ever felt, that every trial we've ever gone through, every tear that has ever been shed, would have meaning and purpose as He formed our lives to look like His own. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted with the very comfort of God. J.R.R. Tolkien said this Certainly in this life and sorrow we must go, but not in despair. Behold, we're not bound forever to the circles of this world, and beyond them is more than a memory. You see what Tolkien is saying there? You're right. This place isn't right. There's something wrong with it. But the great world is to come. Our life with God, the new heavens and the new earth, is on its way. And there, there will be no more pain. And we think of Revelation, where Jesus Himself says He will wipe away every tear. That the mourning process will have the great comfort of the great physician. And literally, in that language, means that he will reach down in our eyes and gouge out that which made us sad. That he will go to the root of the problem, its very source, and he will bring blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort. What is this favor? How can I begin to experience this favor today? Let me point you back to Jesus. In John 11, where Jesus comes and he sees and he speaks into his friend Lazarus' death. You remember the story, right? Jesus comes, he sees the crowd and he weeps. And he says, show me where my friend is laid. He sees death. And it says once more he was moved deeply in his spirit and he weeps over it. He tells them to roll away the stone and then it says that he wept. And just like David wept for Absalom, Jesus weeps for Lazarus. And in the same way that David wept for Absalom, Jesus for Lazarus, Jesus also weeps over the death that happens to you and I. And then he speaks. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man walks out alive. He comes. He blesses with his presence. He sees the situation and he speaks life into the death of a human being and blesses them with great comfort and gives them eternal life. Jesus comes into your life and into mine. He sees it. He sees right where you're at. He sees the trouble of your life. He sees those things that make you sad. Those things that you and I are mourning over. And He speaks the truth of His power and His authority into them. And words of life and says, Be comforted my people. to bring the prophecy of Isaiah true, comfort, comfort my people. Not only does John uh, uh, Jesus come, And sees and speaks and saves us, but also in John 14, He gives us His Spirit. That even right now we have the Spirit of God incarnate within us. The Holy Spirit which indwells us. You remember how the Master said we were to refer to Him, right? How? As the Comforter. That we have the very comfort of God that is indwelled within us that can never be separated from us. So that we might know the comfort of God in any and in every circumstance. In any and every way the devil would tempt us not to be comforted, we can respond with the comfort of Christ which indwells us. And with that comfort from 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 5, the God who comforts us in our times of trials so that we may comfort one another. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not just with a pat on the back, not with a lollipop. You and I have real problems. We have real sadnesses. There's real salt in our tears. But he comforts us by taking those things upon himself. Those places where we lost our innocence. Those places where we have broken relationships. Those places where people have died. And he takes all of that upon himself and takes it to the grave so that you and I will know the comfort of God and that we might comfort one another with that very same comfort. Is there any comfort that you have from God? Any place where God is ministering to you right now? The answer to that is know that I would beg you to look harder. Because what is hurting you right now, what's causing heart water to come from your eyes right now when nobody's looking is the very thing that Jesus died for and gave His life for. Are you crying? Are you sad? over the state of the world? Jesus has brought you out of the world. Are you crying over the loss of a loved one? If they're in Christ, they're not lost, but they are with Him. Are you crying on loved ones that may not have known Christ? You can be comforted that your God will do what's right every time. Trust Him. Maybe it's the loss of innocence. Maybe it's the place where you were abused in your life. Where was God? He was on the cross for that abuse. He died for it that you might be set free from the ramifications of it. Where is God in your addictions? He died for your addictions so that you might be set free from them. It's God's ministry to you and I to comfort us in those places where we've been broken. I'd have you take this away this morning. Your mourning, my mourning, is the evidence of something better to come. It is the neon light in the culture of mankind the saying, you are meant for more, you are meant for more, you are meant for more, God has more. For you. Release yourself from the bondage that this world wants to enslave you with and live in the freedom of the comfort of Christ so that you may comfort others with the comfort that you have received. Blessed are those who mourn For you shall be comforted. Let's pray.